I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, so I think the first thing we have to do is, is give our predictions. <laughs> For the Australian Open, <laughs> because we're not going to have any of this, oh yeah, I guessed that right. And we should say that it was a combination of time zones and illness and all sorts of bits that our, our preview pod never made it out. So I think it's only right we start with who we said, if you can remember, was going to win the Australian Open. Well, I can remember. And I did a complete 180 on what I'd said in the pod before. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I went with Yannick Sinner. <laughs> Oh, did you? Did you? You didn't. <laughs> Not having this. No, if only, if only. I think I'd said before that uh, he'll make a couple of finals this year. Yeah. Uh, but won't break through. And, um, well, he was hands down the best player of the tournament, wasn't he? Yeah. By, by, well, you know, Medvedev obviously you know, ran, him, ran him very close. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was tremendous. No, I didn't pick Sinner. I picked Djokovic. And? And I did pick Sabalenka. Oh, did you? Oh, yes, you did. Okay, I, I obviously got it wrong. I went Djokovic. I was, I was convinced. And I went Rabakina. And I think Rabakina is going to be one of these players throughout the year that pulls me in and I go for her and then maybe lets me down. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Consistency. I, I just, yeah. Well, she, she had a cracking start to 2024, didn't she? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I was feeling bad because I took her out of my top eight. <laughs> I was thinking, well, that's a terrible call. But they, I mean, somebody's got to move. If you're putting new people in the top eight, some people have to come out. So you have to choose somebody. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So Rebecca, what did you, was it second round, third round? I can't remember what she made. It wasn't, it wasn't good anyway. It, it wasn't where I needed her to get to. Um, and I thought, well, I've still got Djokovic. That didn't happen. So we were both working on the Australian Open. I love the fact that we were in different time zones, but for the first part, we were working at the same time. I love that. So I know not so much for you because it was the middle of the night, but we could like chat away about all the matches. And the last few days when you, you flip time zone, I was quite lonely during the day because I couldn't send you messages. I know, but it was not conducive for doing the pod because I was always on the day session <laughs> and you were always on the night session. So I know we had a basically my one hour window was not helpful for you and your one hour window I was about ready to go for the day session so <laughs> we couldn't record everyone everyone you've just hang on you've just finished working for the day right I have yes yes did a couple of matches today I'm working on Hua Hin this week the right. 250 event in Thailand okay so I'm it's I, hot it's hot excellent and it's sticky <laughs> and sweaty have you ever wow. seen this from Tatiana Maria. I don't think I've ever seen this. What? I mean, unless she's done it before or somebody else. I'm intrigued. Has done, I don't think I've ever seen this. Right. Sorry? I'm intrigued. What is it? What haven't seen? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Denise. Rambling away myself. Um, yeah, get this. Sweatbands on her ankles. Have we ever seen that? Is that to stop the sweat running down into the shoes and making the shoes? Exactly. Exactly. When you have shaved legs, 
the there's nothing for the moisture to cling on to. It just streams down into your shoes, which is why I have no idea why lots of players have started shaving their legs who wouldn't ordinarily do so. Lots of the guys have been doing it as well. But anyway, yes, sweatbands on our ankles. Doesn't it make you quicker if if more streamlined if you shave your legs? <laughs> I'm think- I, I think it's more about the look. I'm, think- to be, to be I'm thinking more. That- I don't think there's a performance element to it. But yeah, I mean, it just runs into your shoes and makes them soaking wet, and then you're at higher risk of getting blisters. It's just heavier to run around. You could add like half a kilo onto your feet with just moisture in there. Can I say that's genius? Absolute genius. Because it is. So- and that's the thing. I was thinking, how have we? I've never seen this before. Never. I'm sure I've never seen this before, never. but it seems so normal. That's such. And I. That's such a good idea because you either have hairy legs and as you say, largely for the look, they don't want to have the hairy legs and, and you'd have to have quite a lot of hair really. To, yeah, I yeah. Mean, you'd have to be really Women hairy. would struggle a bit more yeah. to have enough hair to stop the, <laughs> stop the moisture oh, running down. And that's, oh, oh dear. Yeah, it's a thought, isn't it? And that's a genius idea because that's brilliant. I just can't, I just, I can't believe I've never seen it before. I've never noticed mm. it on her before. So... I don't know if she's just started doing it, but but how good is that? If you're playing in sweaty, humid conditions, it just stops it running into your shoes and you start slipping and sliding all over the place. Yeah, it was in the first match. She was sort of halfway through. She had already changed her shoes once. And I think she probably didn't have another pair. I mean, you'd normally have a couple of pairs. Um, but she... anyway, halfway through the match, she she was really struggling with the, the sweat. And then she, she just popped them on. And I just thought... Why not? Brilliant. I, don't, I don't know, but brilliant. She just did it as if it was nothing, and as I say, I, I'm sort of looking around, being like, "Does anyone else think this is genius?" Brilliant. I love it. I said, "Brilliant." I think, I think it's absolutely brilliant idea. I think more people you just have sweat sweatbands all the way up your legs, all the way up, just covered in <laughs> towel. Just if you're a really sweaty person, just I think I can think of a few players. I, I not name and shame them, but I probably won't name them that should just do that because I think it would make such a. I think that the thing is. At this year's Australian Open, we didn't really have those types of temperatures. So they were, there were a handful of days. And on those handful of days, the players struggled because, and I was speaking to a couple of coaches, the players were struggling because they hadn't been practicing in the heat, in that kind of heat. And suddenly you got a day of that kind of heat. I remember Daniel Medvedev saying, well, I'm, he said, I'm glad my opponent retired. He said, because I was feeling it. You know, I just, I just wasn't used to it. But we didn't have... We had rain, we had wind. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty cool in terms of the temperature at the Australian Open. Yeah, but it, it's it's one of the challenges of the Australian Open is dealing with the differences in conditions, and they, it changes from practice to practice, from match to match. The day session is wildly different to the yeah. evening session in terms of temperatures because it's such a dry heat, so it can really drop off by, by a, a lot in terms of the temperature. It's different with the roof closed to it not being closed. I mean, you can have any sort of season in Melbourne, really. And, I mean, all in all, it was quite mild. We did have that hot day thrown in, but, I mean, we, we weren't frying eggs on the court like we have done no. in, in yeah. previous years. No, it was, it was, it was quite chilly. It was definitely jumper. I actually had a scarf as well, which is probably quite extreme. But as we know, commentary boxes can be quite cold. So I was definitely kind of packed up to prepare for the weather. Let me ask you, if you won a Grand Slam singles title, what, what would you do? Would you go straight back to work? Would you celebrate for the rest of the year? Would you have a massive party? What would be your kind of reaction to winning a first Grand Slam singles title? Oh, I don't know. I think 
Yeah, I think you probably enjoy the evening. You've got to do your photo shoot the next day anyway. So I enjoy the evening. I'd probably want to try and get back home. Because at that stage, you've been there for a while, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably try and um, yeah get back home. Because at home is where you're going to, you know, that's where you feel the impact of it, the wider impact. You, know, you sort of enjoy it yourself, you and your team. And then you go home and all of the sacrifices your family have made and your friends are there and everybody who you know is going to have been screaming at the TV, has been setting their alarm for two o'clock in the morning to watch you play, whatever it might be. And then you sort of get to soak all of that in and you feel like an absolute legend, I'm sure. Sinner is is back in Italy, but he's also back in the gym. And I was thinking, if I just won a Grand Slam singles title, not I'd necessarily be partying, because that's not the mindset of someone that goes and wins a Grand Slam title, but I don't think I'd go near a set of weights. I don't think I'd go near a gym for for at least a while. Would that be fair? I mean, I don't have the mindset of an athlete, obviously. <laughs> well, it depends, doesn't it? I mean, I think it also depends on which slam you win because just of how the schedule works. I think Australia is probably the toughest one to really take a significant break after because you're only just getting started with yeah. the season. You've just had six weeks off. I mean, Sinner had, what, six weeks because of the Davis Cup, but, you know, six, seven weeks off. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, you sort of, you've done the work, you want to keep it going, you don't want to let anything slip. Um, so you've got that on your mind. If you win Wimbledon, there's sort of a natural little break. You mm. could get away with, you know, a week of really just sort of, uh, you know, taking in the applause, soaking up the adoration, doing some TV bits and bobs um, before really getting back on, onto court. Um, probably difficult this year, though, with the Olympics. Mm. Maybe that's yeah. actually squeezed a bit because the schedule's tighter. Um, US Open's the one. You could just go bag the rest of the season, everyone. I don't care. <laughs> I am a Grand Slam champion. It's nearly the end of the year. And I'm going to, we've seen it, haven't we, with, with a lot of players that'll just sort of go do the talk shows and they're here, they're there, they're everywhere. And, they're, and then, you know, they'll play some tournaments, but, you know, it's fine. I mean, to be fair, Coco Goff yep. didn't do that last year. She, she ploughed on um, and then it's probably celebrated in the off season. But I think the US is probably the easiest one to really you know, sort of let the shoulders drop and go, okay. <laughs> the right. the mindset yeah, of a champion, Yannick Sinner, because you know the Australian Open has cameras everywhere in all the changing rooms, the gyms, the corridors. And it's like a little bit like Big Brother. There were, we were just sitting in the commentary box and we'd come off air and I was just looking at all the pictures because they show him walking back through the corridor of champions and wandering around. And it's 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 quite nice actually to watch. But they had cameras in... I think it was the gym or the men's locker room, one of the two. And he was there with his team. And there was a really serious conversation. There were no kind of smiles and I've done it. It was a really serious conversation. And I remember speaking to my colleague Ross and we were like, gosh, I wonder if something's happened because it, it seemed quite sort of angry and quite tense. And it lasted for a few minutes and the whole team was there. And then afterwards in press, he admitted Yannick Sinner that already with his coat, Simone, he was talking about what he could have done better and what he needs to work and I'm thinking wow of all the things that would go through my mind that soon after winning my first major it, it probably wouldn't be that I think that it is for a lot of people because you know you've got the match fresh in your mind and you know you've got that initial celebration of course and you've done it but you yeah I just think it's such a natural thing every every match you play whether you win or you lose you sort of you're sitting on the bike or whatever you're doing and you're you're running through it in your head. You're digesting it with your team. Um, I I remember speaking to a, for, a, a former player 
uh, a British player who, you know, I mean, had been going you know, deep in second week of slams for a long time, incredibly successful. And they retired at Wimbledon and that was their last match. And they were still sat. They just automatically started with the coach breaking down the match <laughs> and talking about what to work on. And the coach had to say, no, 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 no you, you, you're literally not going to step on a tennis court again. Uh, well, apart from recreationally. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's just it's part of who you are. Yeah, no, it goes to show I don't have the mindset of a champion or an athlete. And apparently um, I don't have the mindset of a coach. I have newfound admiration for coaches because I was a coach, I think, what was it, for a couple of days before I was fired? And Yeah, you weren't up to scratch. <laughs> um <laughs> For those that haven't seen on social media, Daniela Hantikova hired me as her coach for the Legends. I was in the box on Margaret Court Arena for a first match with her partner, Lena, and they won. I resisted the coaching snacks that are offered in the box. I thought that's very unprofessional. But I missed 7 a.m. practice. Who practices at 7 a.m.? I missed 7 a.m. practice the next morning and I was fired. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's brutal. I mean, it's... I. It's brutal. I just, I can't. <laughs> I was, I was living on the edge. I wasn't sure. I've got, it just, um, wonderfully, by the end of the tournament, I think I was rehired. But in terms of my coaching career, I'm out. I mean, you know, I won, won, played one, won one. And um, I don't know how you guys do it because that, that is a very uncertain lifestyle. And I only had it for like two days. Well, I don't do it. <laughs> So that's how I do it. I don't. But even, no, but you coach, you coach like little people and you could have parents coming up to you saying, hang on a second, you've been coaching my little person for two months and I don't see them as a future world number one. We're going to find someone else. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky, difficult, demanding thing industry. The thing is, is that you have that conversation with such regularity. It is absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. So you just know exactly what to do. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And it, it's amazing how often it happens. And it's just like, really? <laughs> Having this again, just a smile and and move and deal with it and move on. But yes, of course. Well, my brother is in that situation now because yeah. since the last pod, although I did heavily imply that's what was happening, <laughs> without I wasn't at liberty to a hundred percent confirm. But you know, hopefully the tennis listeners got the hint when I was saying it looks like, and hopefully yeah. they'll get to work together. <laughs> but anyway, he's he's working with uh, Emma Raducanu. Um, tough start, must I must say, just being a grand slam <laughs> just you know they yeah. did a couple of weeks of training uh back in london before christmas and then things weren't sorted for him to get to auckland uh so it was just a pier and it's a grand slam and it's a circus because it's emma raducanu and she is such a superstar there are thousands of people at every practice session there's so much you know what comes with a grand slam it is not just about the tennis there's so much else that goes on that goes in the focus is high the scrutiny is high everybody's sort of losing their minds a bit and obviously you know for Emma she's desperate to to get off to a good start and I think it was a pretty reasonable start considering she'd been out for such a long time but uh, yeah it was a tough uh, tough first week on the job I must say just arrive in Melbourne and then all of a sudden it's it's uh it, 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 you're just in the midst of a slam that's it but I mean you know Nick's fairly used to it he's been at slam in, in slams as a coach for yeah, a long time but th- this must feel different because she's kind of a a superstar you know she's yes in different in her short time as a tennis player because it really is a short term really she has tran- already transcended the sport and people call her emma rather than emma Raducanu. they speak to her and she's one she's one name she's like prince and all these other people <laughs> she's you know she she is a superstar and I imagine as a coach when all you want to do is knuckle down and do your 
bits and pieces for the matches, it it must be quite hard, right? Yeah, and no disrespect to Aliash Badene, who was the last player my brother was on tour with. We love Aliash. Hang on, his wife's a superstar in Slovenia, a pop star, isn't she? When you go to Slovenia, it's a big deal, of course. Big news. But um, no, I mean, the global appeal. And I think people possibly underestimate it because it's been obviously, you know, two and a half years now since she won. And and there have been lots of... um, you know, ups, ups and downs, a lot of downs really for her in terms of her match results and in terms of, of physically. Um, but I think, yeah, people really do underestimate. I mean, her crowds were huge, some of the biggest. Okay, maybe not as big as Osaka, but right up there. You know, she is such a, a big superstar. And you're right, she is just Emma. And poor Emma Navarro, if she ever wins a slam, she cannot have <laughs> just Emma. She's going to have to be Emma Navarro. She's doing well, right? She's in the top 30. She's flying up. She might. You never know. But she will always be Emma Navarro. It's uh, no, it, it, it's <laughs> it's incredible. But it, but it was good. You talked about the positives from Emma Raducanu. The positives it it, it looked like just from the out an outsider that she's enjoying a tennis and able to focus on the tennis. And maybe she doesn't feel that weight of expectation that she had in the immediate aftermath when she was playing as a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, feels like a big reset, doesn't it? You know, which is which is great. It was just totally needed. It's it sort of you know now she's ready to go but um it's amazing to think that she has obviously so much experience but so little experience she has experience in in terms of playing on big arenas and winning on big arenas um but she doesn't have the experience really on sort of the day-to-day WTA tour events I suppose look she's played them for the past couple of years don't get me wrong but uh um yeah so it's uh yeah it's a fascinating um mix of stuff i mean it's just bizarre right because what happened was bizarre it was bizarrely brilliant absolutely magical but it just you know how do you wrap your head around it um and everywhere you go you're treated like a grand slam champion but you feel like a bit of a rookie on the tour it just it's just crazy it's just, i don't just I don't, I don't know how you cope with it to be honest i think it has been difficult for her to cope with it but now it feels like, um, yeah, it's a new chapter, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, no, it certainly is. And we said it at the start of the year, there's so many exciting kind of storylines to look out for this year. And one thing we talked about, and you picked her to defend her title, was, was Irina Sabalenka. And God, she looked good. I mean, she looked so comfortable. She looked so good. And you've got to think of how well she played last year after winning Australia. If she can keep up this form, she didn't play Doha last year, so nothing to defend there. Shiontek won it. Dubai, Sablenk got to the quarterfinals. Shiontek got to the final. I mean, I just, I, you can, I don't know. Is this now the Sabalenka era? Can she go on to dominate? Well, I think a lot of people watching what she produced have been saying that. It's very, it's, it's so easy to slip into it, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, but it's just incredibly hard to do you know, on all the different surfaces and the different conditions and physically and the different preparations and the run-ins. Look, Australia is, the Australian Open is her favourite tournament by far, right? Yeah. Like she's very comfortable. She won her first title there. She's defended now. You know, that it, it's hard, which is her best surface. That is, you know, that that is just, it is her favourite, her favourite event. So, um, you know, I did really fancy her chances in, in defending. I didn't, I mean, she didn't lose a set and I didn't, couldn't really see who was going to, trouble her much in the draw mm. um you know she was she just sort of flew flew through really didn't she so yeah I don't know I mean look she's one of the favorites to win everywhere she goes but you never know with Shontek 
and and the thing is with such an aggressive game like Sabalenka has it's all about finding that balance and having that control and the slightest thing can throw you off whether it's the wind the speed of the court the balls don't feel right bit of altitude whatever it might be some things just really work in your favor and sometimes you just you're never going to quite feel right and then all of a sudden you're just missing instead of just making it or whatever it might be so um you know i just i think it's going to be hard to dominate but if she plays how she did in melbourne for the rest of the year well then sure of course she's probably going to win three slams this year but i mean that's just a massive massive if isn't it i also think the your is an obvious thing to say but your surroundings do play a part i mean i love the fun she has with her team i think that's i think that's so important yes you have to get the balance as well but i like the fact they have fun and they laugh because there must be so much pressure. I mean, Novak Djokovic has even apologised in the past to his team for the pressure he puts them under and the stress, and which I don't think can be a good thing. I mean, you look at the Djokovic box, they, they look terrified most of the time. Look, he's still massively successful, still winning, he'll still go on to win. But I like, I like that balance. I, like, I think when it comes to the team that you're going to have fun relax the player and I think that's what you're seeing more of if you look in these boxes like the Cinnabox box with Darren Cahill he's a very relaxed character that seems to a really good blend he said look we have fun and we're also serious and I think that's that's something that's starting to come across the the teams that are put together and that relationship which helps them when you get into what is a very a grand slam is a very stressful couple of weeks it just looks like a team you want to be a part of doesn't it? Like yeah. it just looks like it's really fun. They've got perspective. Sure. She's going to get angry and frustrated when things aren't going her way or if she misses a shot or whatever it is. But it feels like there's perspective on there. You don't feel like, you know, even if she were to lose that final, that she would be, you know, yes, she might smash up a racket as we saw on, uh, where was that? US Open, wasn't it? After that final, she was, she'll smash up a racket. She'll be angry. She'll be frustrated. All of those are you know, totally relevant, but don't feel like she's going to be moping around, feeling sorry for herself, sort of going, oh, I want to quit. I can't do it. You know, you feel like the belief is there. It's just the frustration that she didn't deliver because, you know, look, I think her and her team, the belief is sky high. They know if she just plays the way she can, she beats everyone. I mean, who's, who's going to stop her, really? You know, she can overwhelm Shrontek. You know, who is going to be able to match that level? And, and the truth is, is that no one really can at the moment. But it is just if that level, level wavers, what, what then could happen? Um, but yeah, they have so much belief in her and so much respect for her. And I think that comes from fighting. You know, the impact that has, if you are a coach on the sideline, if, if your player bails on a match... It does so much damage for the morale and just for the overall focus and energy of the team. If you're a coach who's been up until one o'clock in the morning doing video analysis and you're doing this, you're doing that. And look, you know, the coaches aren't making millions. They're not. You know, of course, yes, if your player's winning a Grand Slam, you're going to be doing very well, having a nice time. Of, like, Don't get me wrong. But in terms of just your 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 standard tour coach, if if you have a player that even occasionally, like once every three months just sort of bails if they go sort of a set and a breakdown they just can't quite it it's so hard to to have the belief that they that the player expects from you and it's hard to have the sort of mutual respect as well because you know if you look at them they are just they're there they don't, it doesn't matter what the score is they know that she is going to be fighting and fighting and fighting to try and, and work her way back she's never going to roll over and that's why she's been so consistent and one of my favorite stats is not a common stat that's been thrown out about Sabalenka but one of my favorite ones I might have mentioned it on the pod before 
is that the last time she lost in a slam in straight sets was the US Open 2020. It is 2024. She's played all of those events. She missed a Wimbledon. She wasn't allowed to play. But, you know, it, it, she's always gone down fighting if she's gone down. Every single match loss. And that's 13, sla- oh, sorry, 14 slams now. 13 losses because she's won one of them. Oh, no, 12 losses because she's won two of them now. Sorry, I'm getting behind my stats. Uh, she's won two of them. Keep up. Come on. Um, so out of the, all 12 of those matches have been been three sets whether she's lost to Siontek or Rybakina who doesn't or or somebody lower ranked doesn't matter who it's been she's always been right there battling away and like that that's why I think you get that energy from them in you know in the yeah. stands right it's just such a confidence they just you know they just they just they back her I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here as in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, heartbreak for Daniel Medvedev. His third loss in Australian Open final. His second loss from two sets to love up. But you feel... If there's, you feel you feel if there's a player or a person who will turn that into a positive and change that, it is Medvedev. I just, I think his attitude is great. I know he can sometimes be the villain on the court. He speaks so well in his press conferences, especially this one after the final. But I I don't worry for him. I feel like he he will be back. I just think I think his attitude, although sometimes on the court he can be really grumpy and kind of just yell towards his box. I just. I think he can I think he can take that and turn it around because I mean how heartbreaking must that have been to be two sets up and comfortable in the third set and to lose in five after over 24 hours on court across the two weeks it was brutal absolutely <laughs> brutal um it was tough to watch especially when you could feel it turning and you because yep. yep. he must have been tired i know he's super wiry and feel you feel like he never gets tired but he must have been tired um and oh it was so tough wasn't it to to watch i mean it was great for sinner of course but mm. look again medvedev's got that level of perspective that sabalenka's got right it's it's you know he's going to be frustrated. He's, he's going to be you know pissed off after a loss like that. But he do, he just has a perspective on like we're just playing tennis here, and ultimately yeah. Yeah, you're true. a multi-millionaire who's just been in the final of a Grand Slam. Like things are not that bad, and I, I think that is what the reason why both of those players, Sabalenka and Medvedev, are now really consistent because you can just bounce back. It's not you know somebody who who is a very bad loser, for example, and and. I don't necessarily mean it as a criticism. You can totally understand. But somebody like Stefano Tsitsipas has, you know, the the big matches that he's lost, you feel like it's months before he's actually sort of snapping yeah. back out of it. Like yeah. it takes a long time and it always has done. And and it's a good thing to an extent, but it, it makes it, he's just too emotional about it, right? And you just, you just, too, you have to be able to detach yourself somewhat you have to be it, it's a really odd balance right you have to sort of be prepared to put your life on the line and think that it's the most important thing in the world but also emotionally be able to have that level of perspective it's it's very very difficult to do I feel like Medvedev does that you know you don't think that he's 
going to be not eating and sleeping after that sort of loss. But sure, it's going to hurt and it's tough to tough to see it. And something else that's tough, and we talked about this the last, Andre Rublev, I think we asked the question, is he gonna is he gonna get through a Grand Slam quarterfinal? And still the answer is no. I just oof. even I, I'm wondering, as I watch him in a Grand Slam quarterfinal, I've now lost all belief that he's gonna win it, which is an awful thing to say. So I wonder about the pl- the player himself. Because if he wasn't aware of the stat, every time he goes into a press conference, they tell him about the stat. Yeah, exactly. So you you can't get away from it. If you want to ignore it, you can't. And it really annoys players. <laughs> <laughs> it will be asked in every single press conference, um, but that's that's how it get, how it is. The thing for Rublev, <laughs> and I, I mean this with the best of intentions. <laughs> I know you're a massive fan, as am I. His best way to reach a semi final is to win a bunch of Masters events and get himself to number four in the world. Because the problem is that he keeps coming up against one of the top four. Yeah. Like that and that's how the draw works. And okay, you can rely on you can hope that somebody's going to take them out, but it has to be in your section, whichever one of the four you've got. Yeah, that, and and he is ranked number 5 in the world, so he's very very close, but it does feel like the gap between 5 and 4 is massive, yeah, doesn't it? it does. Those four are out on their own. I mean, that's number 4 is sinner. Like it the the gap is you know, Rublev is the best of the rest, but it's so tough to get that breakthrough because he is relying on one of the top four having a bad-ish day. Not a terrible day. You know, Rublev's a quality of... He's world-class. He's world number five. But a bad-ish day for the best of five. Um, or he's relying on somebody else to beat them. Now, those things can happen. If he just keeps plugging away, <laughs> it might happen for him. He might get there. But if he could... If he could go and win Indian Wells and win another Masters and win in Rome or win, win Monte Carlo again or whatever he might do, if he could pick up three Masters events, I mean, he's still not going to be world number four because the gap with the points <laughs> is quite large. But if he could, you see what I'm saying? If he could pick up those points, if he could somehow, I don't know how it's possible. Maybe <laughs> Sinner doesn't win another match for six months. I don't know. But if he could get to world number four, then he'll be playing somebody ranked lower than him in the quarterfinals. And then he's, then he's going to do it. Oh wow! I lo- I love that's that's that could be his only route to success and to a Grand Slam semi final. Just blitz everything. Hope people don't get to number four, and then the pressure is on because this is your moment. But it was yeah, it was sad. Or you've got to sit back and wait and hope and hope that it happens. Right? That's that's your other option. So overall, your thoughts on the Australian Open? Was there one person, one thing that stood out? Thought it was a good tournament overall. Where 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 do you sit with it now? It's done. I thought it was. I thought it was brilliant. It, it, I thought it was really, really good. I th- yeah. The first week, I think, was hard because we had a lot of wind, we had a lot of rain, um, so weren't necessarily seeing some of the best tennis. But then everything sort of settled itself, settled itself down, and it was. Um, yeah, I thought it thought it was fantastic, and just I mean, to be honest, utterly dominant performances from Sinner and Sabalenka. I know Sinner was up against it in the final. Obviously, came back from two sets down, and Medvedev was great, but really. Uh, yeah, they were the best players comfortably. And good to see some of the younger players coming through and showing that kind of 
I have no fear attitude. I can do this. And a lot of people talking about it's the Emma Raducanu effect because they've seen someone who's come through qualifying and done the extraordinary. And not saying they're all going to go and do that, but they've got the belief that there is a tick. Because before it was like, well, there's no chance you could do that. That doesn't happen. It Maybe it's a one-off. Maybe it'll never, ever, ever happen again. But the players now think, hang on a second. I could go out there and I could get lucky and I could go on a run. And now we're seeing that I love the way we see these young players that aren't scared of anyone. They just smack that ball. They get out there. Noskova, I hadn't seen an awful lot. So it's really nice to see more of Noskova. Andreva makes me laugh because she's feisty. She seems to have it all and she seems to be here to stay. We had Maria Timofeva, the qualifier, came through and was just crunching the ball and dispatching anybody in her way. I I thought it was really nice to see those younger players get some big wins on the big stage. Yeah, they really are feisty and that belief is is strong. I mean what Yastremska made the semis all the way from qualifying I mean we've always said that qualifiers do tend to do really well in tournaments you know getting to the third round maybe last 16 that's sort of what you think in your head but yeah I mean Emma's blown it wide open with with that sort of result um so yeah every I think honestly I think everybody in the tournament thinks it's possible which is great I think it's it's such an, an yeah. added element like we never used to be like that um and uh, yeah, you get some uh, some wild results, but yeah, really enjoying the uh, the youngsters. It's sort of back to that because we had a period of time where we sort of lost all the teenagers. There was a period of time where there were no teenagers in the top hundred on the women's side, which is like the first time in history. Yeah. Um, I remember there was there, there was a time when there was one, and I, I remember it was Donna Vekic. She was the only teenager when she was like nineteen. Um, and then now now they're back. They're back with a force. Now we something else I just wanted to touch on because it's been in the. In the media the last couple of days is Andy Murray. Suffered a defeat to Benoit Pair in three sets um, in Montpellier. An article was written sort of saying, is he going to do damage to his legacy if he continues? Andy Murray actually was tagged in it and actually replied to it saying, hang on a second. I know things aren't good, but, you know, look what I've done. And I, I'm, I'm different to others. I think something we've always said is, yes, it has become difficult in recent times seeing some of these matches when he hasn't won, but... It's no one's position or right to tell him what he should do with his career and when he should end it because of everything he's achieved. You know what? Even if he hadn't achieved all those things, it's still no one's right or position to say that when someone should stop doing something that they quite obviously love. Yeah, it's his life, right? (laughs) I mean, it's just up to him what he wants to do with it. Um, Yeah, I just, yeah, it's totally ridiculous. If you don't want to watch him anymore, don't watch him. It's not hard. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not it's not going to it's not going to tarnish look because you cannot take away everything that he's done and everything that he's achieved and I think what it does show I suppose we're all kind of scratching our heads wondering when it will happen just because we're curious as 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 to when it might happen but I think one thing that stands out about him is he just loves it he loves playing right he, he's done it for years he still gets the joy out of it yes he said he knows this is a really bad period for himself but he loves being out there playing. So I feel sorry for him because they, he's going to be asked the question, how are you feeling? When's it going to stop? And and it's it's completely, I, I know why some people ask the question, but at the same time, it, it must be really tough for him because he just wants to get out there and play and turn it around. Yeah, I think, I think one of the most difficult things for him to swallow and, and reading that exchange that they had on, on Twitter was, he just, he knows he can play better than this. 
right now not sort of longing for yesteryear or anything like that he just he knows he can produce better than he is producing right now and you know we have seen it I mean I remember the back end of last season we were talking about it because I did quite a few of his matches and he was so close to picking like when he nearly beat Dimonor twice when he had match points but the level he produced there was a top 20 level for the whole match and okay he lost both of those but you know that the, the level for him to be winning matches in slams is absolutely there and for him to be doing better than he is it's there and I think that's the the hardest thing for him um is that he knows he can just be playing better than this. He doesn't think he can win the Australian Open, but he knows he can win matches there. Like He, he knows he's capable of it, but there's some sort of mental block. It's not happening. It's just he, he's not allowing himself or whatever it is. I'm sure he's desperately trying to trying to figure it out, but he know, he's not going to kid himself. He knows with the training he's been doing um, and with some of the performances he's put in, his level is there. It's just He's just not getting the results. And that's the hard thing on this kind of stage. Everything is so public. We've talked about this with players before. When Sabalenka was was double faulting, it felt like every point. She had to play that out in public. You know, there's nowhere to hide. If you're going to regain your form, if you've worked on something or you're rebuilding something, it's played out in public because they are the match situations that that people are watching. And I I think that's always been the, the admirable thing of those players who can work their way through being on a very public stage, if stuff's going on off the court that people don't know about, you're still having to come on the court and then people make judgments because you're not playing well. It's, it's, I, I know you kind of put yourself in this position and, and you know that's what's going to happen, but I do find, I do find that very tough that everything is, is played out and is so public. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I, I just find, I don't know why people think they sort of have the right to, um, dictate things or say you know it's not about you (laughs) it's just not about you and he's had millions of people watching him throughout his entire career you as one person thinking that he should call it a day no one cares venus is still playing go on venus (laughs) there you go and i think i think people have stopped asking her when she's going to stop playing yeah but does that tarnish her legacy because she's losing first round in events of course not no no, that she is and will always be as good as she was. It's a difficult one, isn't it? But I, that was just I just wanted to touch on that because that's been rumbling around this week when it came up. In terms of the tennis, it well, it doesn't stop, does it? It can. T- I think you rightly said after Australia, there's no really slowing down time. People are off. There's Davis Cup qualifiers this weekend, and the tournaments continue. And then we've got. I'm off to. Doha a week on Saturday for an event there. It's just, there is no time to pause now. But I was thinking about this. For the next three Grand Slams, we are going to be on the same time zone. That's exciting news. Yes. Yeah. All three now, same time zone. Maybe it'll work out for a a pod. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Well, well, as we know, a lot of other things have got to fall into place. But um, we made this one work. and, And we're going to make... The best time it works is when... All the children are at school, nursery. I was about to say college, but we're not quite there yet, are we? Uh, (laughs) At school or nursery, then we can get it done. So all being well, uh, in a week's time, we're going to be back and we're going to be talking more tennis. Yeah, exactly. Can't wait. I'll speak to you soon. Season rolls on. (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.